to now to rejoice in your God as you hear his word in Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And we will meditate on our triune rescuer based on this text of Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. With the first judge of the judges here in this book, Othniel. And we will learn about our God, that our triune God, he is our rescuer. So let us read with faith and with confidence that what we have in hand is the truly word of God. Judges 3, verses 7 through 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Esheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan-Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who served them, Othniel, the son of Canaan, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. <clears throat> and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaan, died. Let us pray once again, asking God's help. Our Father, please help us to examine our own hearts as we are confronted by your text. But most of all, give us hope that only we can find in the gospel and in our Lord, only Lord and King, our King Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, for the glory of you, God the Father. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. <clears throat> sin has the ability to enslave people. That's what Jesus says in John 8, 34. Everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. And I think our text teaches us that sin can enslave people even in the church. And I hope as we go through this text, we can see how sin enslaves human beings and how the gospel of the triune God rescue people in bondage of sin. So the first thing then in the text is slavery in the church. And then we will see how the Savior of the church rescues. First, the slavery in the church, and then the Savior of the church. First, the slavery in the church, verses 7 and 8. So in verse 7, you see, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. So they forgot the Lord. They served idols. And here you see, the author mentions two idols. Uh, male idols, Baals, 
and a female idol, Ashroth. And I want you to pay attention to the verb used, how the Israelites had a relationship with those idols when they forgot the true God who rescued them from the bondage of Egypt. But the language of their relationship with the idols is to serve them. They served those idols. And the meaning of the verb is worship. But also the verb to serve means what you are listening. It means to be a slave. To serve as slaves. So it's both things. To worship and to serve as slaves. They were spiritual slaves of idols. In their hearts, inside of them, they were serving false gods. That's what the text, text is teaching us. And these idols, the male and female, in the pagan culture, they believed at that time that they have intercourse and the semen of the male god would come to the earth as rain and would fertilize the soil and so give the idolaters an abundant harvest. And that is why they got hooked, shackled, enslaved, in bondage to these false gods. Because of economic issues, the desire of success in this world, the goods that we see around us. As a result, you see in verse 8, the result of that is that the anger of the Lord was kindled. The, and because of that, in verse 8, you see, God was angry with Israel, and as a result, God sold Israel, sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. He sold them to that pagan king for eight years. And this language of selling the Israelites to the wicked king of Mesopotamia, which is a translation of double wicked king, his name, is that what it means? The language of selling is selling as a slave. Again, it's the language of slavery. God is selling them as they are, slaves. God sold the spiritual slaves to the king of Mesopotamia, and Israel served for eight years, as you read in verse 8. And the people of Israel served Kushan Rizataim eight years. Now, do not miss the point of the author of Judges here. The same verb here in verse 8, the verb to serve, is the same verb that we just read in verse 7. To serve the false gods... As a result of that service, they started to serve the king of Mesopotamia. 
One service produced another service. You see? And here's the principle and the point of the text that I want you to see as the slavery in the church here in the text. God is showing them that what was inside of them, their idolatry and their slavery for false idols, what was inside of their hearts, is what they are seeing now outside of them as they are servants of a wicked king. Politically and economically and socially. As you are spiritual slaves to idols, then in my anger, says the Lord, I will show you externally what is inside of you with physical, political, and social slavery. That's what you see in the text. Why? Because by God's gracious anger, it is a gracious anger in this episode. God shows externally, outside of them, what is inside of their hearts. That's what God is showing them by his anger. You want to see what's inside of you? You want to see the slavery in your heart? Let me show you outside of you with the wicked man slaving you and keeping you in bondage politically, economically, and socially. God shows externally what we are spiritually inside. Slaves today, there's no slavery anymore. Well, there is. There is still slavery in the world. But as an application for your life and for my life, I'm going to use an illustration and also illustration as application for us today of a type of a slavery that we still are living in. It's a kind of slavery that is even worse, I think, than what we see here in a physical slavery. I'll call it, and some others also call it, voluntary slavery. Voluntary slavery. As we, by all our own desires of our own hearts, we put our hands in the cups. It's just like a fish trying to eat the bait and it's hooked. And when it's hooked, trying to escape, and it's too late. That kind of voluntary slavery we call nowadays as addiction. Addiction. An alcoholic is a voluntary slave. I'm going to use that as an illustration and also as application for all of us. The addicted person, I think, is the prophet of our society and of us today. A prophet? In one sense. In the sense that when you see the Old Testament, the prophets, they act that out what was happening in Israel. For example, Hosea. 
He got married with a prostitute because that's what Israel was doing with their spiritual lives. You see, Isaiah walking naked was acting out the reality of the people of Israel. And that's, I think, what we see with the addictive person. They would act out the spiritual reality of God's people. The addictor person externalizes, pay attention to this, he externalizes what is inside of our hearts, what we try to hide, what we try to deceive ourselves, what we see in our society, they are exposing in a dramatic way, in a horrible way, what are in the side of men. They are the modern external slaves and are a mirror of eternal and spiritual slavery of our society. And two things characterize the addicted person or the alcoholic. Two things. The first, he or she simplifies the complexity of life in one goal or end. That's why it's so addictive. All the complexities of life, the heart of the addicted person has the ability to simplify the complexities of life in one thing. In one thing. Everything is linked to alcohol. Let me read here a quote from an author. That whenever I read this quote to an addicted person that I worked with, the person says, that's exactly me. That is right. Listen to this. It really is the case of the alcoholic. That the good times are empty without alcohol. That the hard times are unbearable without alcohol. That loneliness doesn't feel lonely with alcohol. That love and relationship are mediated by alcohol. That success can only be celebrated with alcohol. That only alcohol can insulate from rejection and so on. To be an alcoholic is to enter into such a relationship with alcohol that everything else in life makes sense only if it is followed by alcohol. That makes me think about praying without ceasing. If a human being is able to do everything in life around a substance, we can do that with our prayer. That's what he's doing. He's praying without ceasing for the object of his worship. But there's more. The second thing is there's endless longing for infinity. Longing for a perfect happiness. Longing for perfect joy. Longing for perfection for inf infinite. The infinite reality that our soul seeks after. As one alcoholic says, before AA we were, try we were trying to drink God out of the bottle. Or another one said, addictions are acts of violence against our insignificance. The result, you know what it is, right? 
this problem is not uh, only a problem in my homeland, I think. It's a pandemic all around. The result, you know what it is, destructive behavior. The more of the substance, less of the pleasure. And because less of the, the, the pleasure, more of the substance it has to consume. And it's a cycle without end, a vicious cycle that is slavery and more slavery. And the pit is deeper and deeper. It's trying to find solution, and the solution is the problem. And what happens? Isolation, lying, blame shifting. The problem is with others, not me. Denial, I can't handle it. It's not that bad. And it's destructive, deadly. But then you are listening to this. I'm far away from this. <laughs> Maybe my neighbor or some relative. Far away from this. You see, the text is saying a slavery in the church. And I think that's time for me and for you to examine ourselves and see our own hearts. Because maybe it is not alcohol your problem. Let us change here instead of alcohol and you fill out the blank. It really is the case for the Slave in the church, that good times are empty without blank. What is it? That the hard times are unbearable without blank. You fill it. That loneliness doesn't feel lonely with, and you fill it. That loving relationships are mediated by, and you fill it. The success cannot only be celebrated with, what is it? The only, that thing, can insulate from rejection and so on. To be an, a slave is to enter in such a relationship with that thing that everything else in life makes sense only if it is followed. And then you fill it. What is it? Well, there is a quote here from a novel author of a series of novels, well-known guy named David Foster Wallace. He killed himself. But it's a famous quote, very famous, that he gave to a couple of uh, college students in their graduation. And listen to this. I think we can relate to it. It says this. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real, thing, real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. 
worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not they are evil or sinful. I think they are. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They are the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without even being fully aware that that's what you are doing. So what void are you trying to fill? What void am I trying to fill? What do you serve and I serve? With what do you simplify your life? And you see, you see around there are so many ways that you can see. It's not alcohol, it's just a type. Externally what we can see in ourselves many times as a mirror. Let me name some, some of the problems. How about food? You have a problem with eating disorder in our culture? That we do not, how, we do not know how to handle anxiety and fear? How about pornography? How about the pandemic of that problem online? Is that your problem? Is that something that you are enslaved to it? How about anger? Always angry at something. Always irritated. How about tongue? You cannot stop your tongue. You have to talk about someone and slander, gossip. How about overwork? And you name it. We are filled now. Filled with so many addictive things in our world. It's social media. Is that your phone? It's what Rebecca Piepert once said in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. What is it? And I want you to pick this up. Because underneath all the problem of addiction that we are talking about here is a Self-righteousness, good works, salvation. All of them. As we see here in the text, as they worship those God, then I will be blessed with this rain. If I good good works, as I sacrifice myself, if I do enough, then I will be blessed by those gods. It's salvation by performance, by good works. And you can be an atheist and live like that. Right? You can say, I don't believe in the supreme God who created the heaven and the earth, but I live for something. 
I live for something that I think will bless me. And for me to have that blessed status, I have to do something. I have to work for it. And it will never be enough. I want to be happy and to have that life that I dream so much about. And even when we get there, it's never enough. It's like a hook. A bait in a hook. We think we will get there. Even in the church. I'm here, open up my mouth, praising the Lord. He is my God. But on a daily basis, that's not true. In my daily life, I have a functional kind of savior, false idol. That I think that will give me blessedness and happiness and heaven here and now. And we will never get there. I try so hard. I, I perform with all my might to get that kind of dream to come through. And only the things that I receive at the end is insatisfaction, despair, and unhappiness. Never true contentment. Either pride, because I think I got there, or despair, which is most of our cases. But this evening, I have a good news to all of us again. To remind ourselves that nothing in this world should be our masters. Nothing. Only our true Savior. See, in verses 9 through 11, is the Savior of the church. 9 through 11. As you see there in 9 through 11, who is the Savior here in the passage? You say, it's Othaniel. No. I think it's the Trinity. The Trinity here in the Old Testament. If you let the New Testament to shed light here in the Old Testament, you see the Trinity being our Savior here in the text. You see, first you see God doing everything. See in verse 8. With verse 9, God puts them into slavery. He sold them as slaves to that wicked king. And Israel cries out to the Lord. And God is the one who raises a liberator, Othniel. And give that wicked king into the hands of Othniel to rescue them. It's the Lord that's the one who gives the king, Kusherijataim, into the hands of Othniel. You see the sovereignty of God there in the text? That he is the one sovereign over all. God the Father who controls everything. He's the one who sells them. He's the one who raised a liberator to save them. He does everything. It's our good doctrine of the sovereignty of God the Father over all universe, of the whole universe. Isn't it beautiful? But many times, even though as a reformed people, we do not apply that beautiful, precious truth in our daily basis to kill our idols that is slaving us in our hearts. And we need a really big dose of that 
doctrine every day. Because that's reality. Nothing in this world is the center of the universe. We want to make them to be the center of the universe. It may be a family. It may be our kids. It may be our jobs. It may be our health. It may be our dreams to be the center of our significance and meaning in life. But what we learn here is our God, sovereign, overall, Lord of all, who is the center of the universe, that we should live in light of that Son, our God. And to put that in practice every day. And you say, how do I do that? Well, use that quote again. Let's change the word for alcoholic and alcohol and put Christian and God instead. Let's read it again in that way. It really is the case of the Christian that the good times are empty without God. That the hard times are unbearable without God. That holiness doesn't feel lonely with God. That loving relationships are mediated by God. That success can only be celebrated with God. That only God can insulate from rejection and so on. To be a true Christian is to enter into such a relationship with God that everything else in life makes sense only if it is followed by my God who is sovereign over all. Is that your confession? Is that only not your confession by your daily life to kill your old men? Kill your idols that you know what it is. Every day when the desires of the old man start to increase and to scream for you to obey them, you say, you're not the center of my life. You are not the significance and the meaning of my life. God the Father is. As a good, reformed Christian, that's what I believe. And you are dead, old man. You need to get... To be dead. That's how we apply. And that's how he is our savior. God the father. But now we have the God the son. And you say, where's God the son here? Well, well, it's, it's a type of the son. Othniel. He is pointing to someone who will come as the liberator, as the redeemer, as the savior of God's people. The name Othniel can mean lion of God. Would that remind you of someone? And, and in the text is the first judge that you cannot see any error or failure. You see, he's acting single-handed. He does everything. His act, his war, he goes to war, and his victory is the victory of Israel. His battle is Israel's battle. His victory is Israel's victory. It's union of Othniel with God's people. He's representing the people. That's what you see in verse 11. But he died because he comes short of the one he is pointing to. He's pointing to, to the one who is greater than him. Jesus died by rose again. Othniel shed blood of his enemies while Jesus shed his own blood for his enemy by sheer grace for you and for me. 
Othniel destroyed the political slavery but by subjugating, defeating the enemy. But Jesus Christ destroys our spiritual slavery by serving and being a servant on the cross for his enemies, you and me. What a great Savior Jesus is. In union with Christ, everything that we long for, we long for infinity and we want to be fulfilled with happiness, we find in union with this Christ, our Savior. We have everything with Him. Everything. Absolutely everything. And He gave that heaven and earth and all his kingdom by sheer grace when he died because of your sins. And he gave us his justice, his good works by sheer grace. Not by your own performance, not by your good works. Because that will produce pride and selfishness in your heart, which is the root of all this slavery in our hearts. Oh, young people, listen to this. You cannot find any other message that you are buying to. You are buying those false gospels that you have, false gospel that you will have a good news if you do something. Oh, if I marry that person. Oh, if I have that job and career. Oh, if I have that and that, then I'll be happy. That's a lie. Tonight, tonight, God is calling you. I have a good news for you. It's not what you do or don't do that you are saved. You are saved by one who was your enemy. But he became an enemy of God so that he can save you by sheer grace and be received by the creator of this universe in heaven without your good works. That humbles you at the same time shows you how much you are loved. And in that way, you are free from yourself. You see, when I talk to addicted people, they say all the time, my problem is selfishness. When I try to get rid of my addiction, and when I think I got over the problem, I got proud. And that's where I go back again to the same problem. It's a circle. It's the same thing with all the false religions based on good works. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So everything that he did, defeating an enemy on that cross and raising again on the third day. That we can have liberation and delivery from ourselves. How can you escape from yourself? Tell me how. I'll pray more. I'll do something more. You will find just yourself again there. Only with the union with Christ through faith alone that you can find freedom from your own heart and find true humility and love at the same time and get rid of our slavering, slavering desires and passions. To kill it. Not because I want to be saved, but because I'm already saved in Him. That's our second Savior, the person of the Trinity, right? God the Son, 
But even if you are listening to this, as I talk to people about this who were addicted with some passions, they say, I hear you. It makes sense. But I want to go back to my alcohol. And it's, it's, it, the problem of the slavery is that inconsequential. It doesn't matter if it hurts. It doesn't matter if I understand it. It's terrible for my life. But I want to go back. Oh, it makes sense, Pastor. And what you're saying makes all the sense, but I cannot do it. It's so hard. Then you need another rescuer. God the Father, God the Son. And now you need God the Spirit. The text tells us, right? The Spirit was upon Othniel. It came upon Othniel. As we see redemptive history in, in the Bible, before the battle against Satan, the Spirit descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see here with Othniel, and the Spirit was upon Jesus before he went to war against Satan. And the Spirit was with Jesus his entire life. Now the Spirit of Christ and of God is in us as a church. And I cannot end this truth without calling your attention to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, but what? For there is debauchery, but what? But be filled with the Spirit. It is only the Holy Spirit. Without Him, all the work of Christ will be for nothing. All the work of the sovereignty of God the Father will be for nothing. Only the Holy Spirit will open our eyes so that we can see the hope that we have in Christ. So that we can see the riches of all of our dreams in life we have in Christ. And all the power that we need to kill our own desires and our own passions in our own hearts that enslave us. Only when the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to see the glory of our God, the Father, and the Son, that we will be truly liberated. That we can go to war. And with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the truth of the gospel daily, we can crucify our old man, our old self, our old sinful desires, our old addictions every day of our lives. And you say, but we're talking about the church. Well, Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, he was writing to believers when he said, I pray for you that God may give the spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of the one so that the eyes of your hearts may be open to see the hope of the glory in the riches of your inheritance and the same power that you have right now, that the power that rose Jesus from the dead and made him to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He's praying for believers because he knew even though God saved us from Egypt, there are so much Egypt in our hearts still. And we must be shaken but the truth of the gospel daily and the greatness of his grace that we cannot find anywhere else. 
So go home with the truth that your triune rescuer is the only one. It is the only one that you can drink and enjoy without moderation. Everything else in the world you should be enjoyed with moderation. Only the God of Scripture, scripture the triune God, we must be delighted with, enjoying and overjoyed with him with no moderation at all. And what a privilege we have to have this truth for us. And to remind ourselves of this greatness. And I plead with you young people. Do not deceive yourselves. Do not buy into the false gospels that is everywhere in this world. Believe the gospel. Repent from your sins. And serve the only Lord that is worthy to serve. The only King who gave his life for sinners like you and me. He is the true rescuer. He is the best news of all. Who can really deal with the addictions of our society. He is the only hope. He is the only hope. Come to him. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for Christ. Thank you for the Trinity. Thank you that uh, the gospel is unique, is incomparable, is one of a kind. And we get, we get to worship you because of it. It's not something that we are Obligated simply because we are obligated to do it. It's because we have pleasure to find such a truth. Actually, the truth found us. It is mind-boggling that you did this with us that we did not deserve. Thank you. And help us by the Holy Spirit to live it out, this truth, to kill our sin of pornography, to kill our sins of anger, to kill our sins of anxiety, to kill our sins of tongue, of eating disorder, of lack of love. Oh, help us. Without you, we can do nothing. Help us. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us sing.